Welcome to Unfiltered Faith, a podcast where we have discussions and conversations and tell stories about faith. This is an epilogue episode uh, for the story of Paul Anthony Turner, which we told in episode one. So if you haven't listened to episode one yet, you might want to listen to that before listening to this episode. And this episode is an update episode where we interviewed Paul just a few days ago just to learn more about where he's at, what he's up to, and we also get more in-depth into his story and his theological beliefs and positions. We did this interview via Zoom chat, so there are a few moments when there's some... We did this interview through Zoom chat, so there are a few moments where there are some technical difficulties. Please forgive us, but... But we had a blast talking, and I think you will too as you listen along. Thank you. Hope you enjoy and are blessed. God bless. Thank you. God bless. The second episode on your feed after this episode is an extended interview that we did just a few days ago of Paul and what he's up to right now. To clarify, the interview you're about to hear right now was done months ago, as well as the short film we just released. But a few days ago, we actually had another conversation, a Zoom chat with Paul, and he gives us an update about his life. Is he pastoring? Um, What is he planning on doing with his life? And he also goes in depth of his kind of theological stance, and he talks more about how he feels about how the church has handled this whole space, this whole conversation. So it's a really great insight. So after you listen to this episode, I'm really gonna encourage you to check out the second episode on your feed. It's a little longer, but there's a lot of great stuff in it. That being said, please enjoy this episode of Paul, A Thorn in the Flesh, extended podcast version. God bless. First off, uh, Paul, thank you so much for making yourself available. To, Yikes! Um, Do I have to say it like that? <laughs> I, I, no, I really, I really appreciate you. Um, I, I, I mean, we, we talked yesterday on the phone. We talked extensively about this, but but uh, this is obviously a topic that is really, um, really important in our community, in our church, and really misunderstood in many ways. And also, uh, there's a lot of, uh, there hasn't been, in my opinion, a space for this uh, conversation. 
in our church um, thus far, not too many spaces. So for, for you not only to be able to create that space, but use your own story, your own pain, your own trials and tribulations to do so, um, use it as a vehicle to create that space, I think is, I think is huge. And I just really appreciate that. And nice. I just want to celebrate you, you for that. Um, so the, the whole purpose of this, um, obviously, is to kind of dig a little bit deeper into your story and some of your thoughts um, and some of the questions I've been getting about uh, as people have kind of seen the teaser and seen some, some of the project. Um, there's some questions that I want to ask you, some follow-up questions to kind of get a better idea of, of, of this whole, whole conversation. But firstly, starting off, um, why don't you just uh, reintroduce yourself um, and uh, uh, just tell us a little bit about uh, who you are. Yeah. Um, so my, my name is Paul Anthony Turner. Um, I am from Louisville, Kentucky, born and raised. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian. I am a pastor in a certain kind of a way. <laughs> and I am gay and I am celibate. In a nutshell. Uh, in a nutshell. <laughs> um, so when, uh, when we first did our, our interview, my follow-up question was um, simply, why are you celibate? Um, and I want to ask that again, but, but this time, um, if you could go in, in depth of the theological, your theological posture and your, your position when it comes to this conversation. So um, you, you mentioned before that you, you hold the kind of traditional belief, belief of, of marriage mm -hmm. um, between man and woman. But for those who may not know what that position is or may even disagree, could you kind of really make a case for that and explain that? Sure. <laughs> Make a case for it. <laughs> um, so yes, um, as you said, um, I, I uphold what is called the traditional biblical sex ethic, um, which maintains that sex and marriage are only to be had between a man and a, and a woman monogamously and permanently. Um, and so that's, that's why I'm celibate. I'm, I'm gay. And, you know, obviously that would mean that I'm inclined to be married to a man or, or to have sex with people of the same sex. Um, but because I, I don't believe the Bible allows for that, um, I'm single. Some people say, some people say, well, you can get married. I'm like, to a woman, I'm like, well, no, try that. Nah, <laughs> it's not for I. <laughs> Wait, when, when you say you tried that, is you, you tried dating women and yeah i yeah lord have mercy you try a lot of things when you mm -hmm. think that you have to do that in order to be happy you have to be married in order to be happy yeah i i definitely try to um try to date um at least two two women seriously and a few others semi-seriously um but no it, it you know nothing obviously here we are nothing came of it yeah um but yeah, because of those theological convictions, and honestly, I know no one wants for me to try to wax eloquent about all the, going to the biblical exeg into a biblical exegesis of all the different texts or Leviticus yeah. eighteen twenty and Romans one. No one, we know all those different all those different texts, um, and so I guess it's just I guess just to say I I, I do take the traditional biblical sex ethic regarding those things, and um, I, I think that a lot of times the reason people disagree on those matters um, of interpretation um, it's because of some you know presuppositions or assumptions that people have coming to the text um, there are two big ones for me that I think um, people tend to have 
um, who, you know, people who tend to disagree with me. Um, but however, I still think that people who disagree with me and take a more progressive biblical sex ethic that would allow for gay marriage and gay sex, I think that they're still doing, I, I think that many of them are, are, you know, they're being very honest. They're interpreting the text. They're not seeking to, you know, um, interpret the text um, disingenuously. They're, they're seeking to interpret the text and, you know, we just have- They're sincere. They're very sincere. Yeah. I, I, th I think it's wrong. Um, but, you know, I, I disagree when people go around saying, oh, people who believe this way, they're just going around trying to um, be, feel, you know, just trying to skew the data or whatever. It's like, no, these people are, you know, they're trying to understand what the word of God is saying, just like, you know, just like I am. Did you ever struggle with that? Once you understood uh, that you were gay, did you ever struggle with it? I mean, was there ever like, a, there, there had to be some type mm -hmm. of right, like struggle with like, like that theology and mm -hmm. um, how did you navigate through that? Yeah, um, honestly, I really, <laughs> so, you know, growing up, I, I always knew, I, I always knew that I was this thing called gay. I didn't really, you know, you know, from the time I was really little, I didn't really know what it, I kind of understood that, you know, being gay meant that you had you had affections toward guys that you quote unquote weren't supposed to have, um, but I really didn't identify with being gay. I grew up in a I grew up in a setting um, in which it was like you got made fun of. Like my friends that you would, you would see like every, every other you know, it was nothing to to hear someone getting called you know fag or gay or you know sissy or or whatever or queer or something like that um and i often got called that and i i kind of understood why but also didn't really understand why and because of the negative connotations behind it i really i just i never identify with it i never was like i'm not i mean i guess i am but i'm not i'm not gay i, don't, I know what it means but i don't know what it means so you know there's a there was a lot of confusion about what it even meant to be gay even though i had some idea and there was some sense in which I did identify with it because, you know, when someone says you're something long enough um, and you don't have any way of responding back, often you take on that identity. But at the same time, I said, no, I'm not that thing because I perceive that thing to be bad. Um, so, um, but as far as the theology goes, the, the, the theology component, because I didn't really strongly identify or, you know, identify with being gay at all, at least in any positive way, um, the theology, the whole idea of, man and woman um only it it never really was like it never i never i never flinched at that it was kind of like oh well duh i mean you know and i'm not saying that for anyone else i'm, I'm saying that from that's how it, it came off to me it was like oh well yeah I'm, i mean here's this really negative thing you know being gay is a bad thing and you know because i'm being teased for it and um so then I, then, I, then I read the Bible, you know, Adam and Eve and, you know, all these other things. And anytime we did see um, anything that's apparently homosexual happening in the Bible, it, it seems to be, you know, very negative. And so I, I never really had any, like, difficulty with accepting the fact that, that marriage seemed to be between just a man and a woman. The only time, the only time that I really struggled with the implications of that for my life was once I was in college and I fell very deeply in love with one of my best friends. Um, and I can't go very in depth into it for, the, for, for, for their sake. Yeah. Um, 
so I don't put them on blast like that. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But I, yeah, but I, um, I, I fell very deeply in love with one of my closest friends. Um, and it wasn't that all of a sudden, I, I started to finally realize what it meant that I won't be getting married. You know, up until that point, I would always like, you know, tell it like, I'm never going to get married. I'm, I'm totally cool with it, you know, blah, blah, blah. But it was once I finally realized, oh, wait, I'm really attracted to this person and it can't happen for several reasons. One, this person, you know, straight. Um, two, I had my, my moral convictions and so forth, um, you know, and then other factors. And so that was the first time I really came head to head with the implications of the theology that I accept that I had um, that I had accepted and very much believed. And it was at that time I, I never really ever sat down to say, "Okay, what can I do to try to disprove the things I believe?" Like every time I did even remotely consider it, it would just like it would go in one you know go in one side of my head and out the other because it was like there's there's, no, there's just no way it doesn't make sense to me. Um, so uh, honestly, that was the only time that's been the only time that I really struggle the theologically with it. And it's more about the like more existential nature of it. Like, what does it mean for me to live in a culture that worships marriage and makes it seem as if you need to be married in order for you to live the, um, the best life possible, um, the abundant life you have to be married in order to, to enjoy that what does it look like for me to not be married and to live in that kind of a culture and to not really have any support um to really address those emotional issues i was dealing with so if i understand you correctly uh you grew up in a christian context where you uh, one you always felt like you had a pretty good understanding of um what the bible says about marriage and it being between mm -hmm. a man and, 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 and a woman. Mm -hmm. um, and at the same time, you started to self-identify as gay and realize you were gay kind of through, it sounded sound like bullying, like was never kind of like a yeah. mm -hmm. discovery of like, you looked in the mirror one day, it was like, hey, I'm gay. It was like through kind of some type of oppression or bullying, you kind of yeah. started to realize like, oh, I'm different, I'm gay. Mm -hmm. um, but it wasn't a huge problem for you growing up until, like you said, you, you fell in love and you experienced love. And... So that process of experiencing love, but then experiencing romantic love, ro romantic love, rather, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But then being hit with the reality that, according to uh, your position, what you believe, that you will never be able to. And and once I actually want you to explore this a little bit more because, from someone mm -hmm. like me, you know, a cis male who um, is Christian, and I do not have a great understanding of really the space, right? So mm -hmm. the way I would process this is like when you confronted that, the the fact is that you would never be able to experience romantic love because mm -hmm. you're gay and you're not going to be able to be married. Now, I remember, remember us having a conversation and correct me if I'm wrong, but you actually would disagree with that um, premise um, of, of, or almost how like we, someone like me would define romantic love. Um, Continue answering the question, asking the questions, like make so, sure. So, so, right. so, so <laughs> I want to. I just basically for any of our listeners who may mm -hmm. have, like, once, once again, once again, just like me, who may have had a very concise definition of what romantic love looks like or what a fulfilling uh, relationship mm -hmm. looks like. Um, mm -hmm. 
and because of we have that understanding, we put so much importance on marriage. I wonder mm-hmm. if you can kind of just break down mm-hmm. kind of your understanding of what romantic love is and how you can experience that and how it might not just have to be through marriage um, and kind of uh, your, your discovery through, through, through um, really exploring that, that, that topic. Uh, okay. I get you. Um, oh my, where, where to, where to start with this? <laughs> <laughs> so I guess what, what I would, what I, what I would start off with is that just kind of de- debunking the myth that marriage and sex romantic relationships in any way are the only way you experience deep profound intimacy i believe that the there is intimacy that can rival the intimacy of marriage found in platonic relationships and you see this throughout the bible um david and jonathan for instance um david you know if I remember the story correctly, he's weeping over Jonathan. He said, he, he says, your love was better than that of women. Um, I believe it mm-hmm. says that Jonathan loved David as his own soul. And these are just two bros. These are just two, two friends who love each other intensely much, very intensely much. But they're platonic friends. But it says that David and Jonathan had a way of, or David loved Jonathan in a way that rivaled his, 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 his passion for women. And we know David was passionate about women. We know. <laughs> All right. Come on, yeah, somebody. that's pretty clear. It's very clear. And so that, that, does, that says a lot to me. And, and furthermore, take to consider that the overwhelming majority, overwhelming majority of, of intimate relationships in the Bible are same-sex relationships, not romantic, platonic, same-sex relationships, where people are pouring in, into each other and doing ministry um, and mentorship and friendship. You know, you have Ruth and Naomi, you have Paul and Titus, Paul and Timothy, um, Jesus and all his disciples, especially John. John is called the beloved disciple. Jesus was a man and he loved, <laughs> John became known as the man, you know, the one whom Jesus loved. Um, you have all these, these beautiful stories in the Bible of same-sex intimacy um, that is platonic. Um, and by comparison, you know, much, many, few, many, many, fewer ro- uh, romantic relationships that are being mentioned um, in any considerable way. And that, that says something to me, um, and that's that we need to get back to valuing our friendships and other non-romantic relationships as much as we value our romantic relationships. Um, I just got back from spending a few days um, hanging out with a, with a group of other, um, other celibate gay Christian men. And the, it's, it is amazing how much week we've we vibed with each other um emotionally um physically even and it i think we've been told we've been we've been fed a false narrative that the only way that you can enjoy that you can be seen emotionally um and spiritually or to see others really deeply emotionally or um or spiritually is if you are married to them or having sex with them I think that's too, that reduces what it means to be a sexual being. It reduces what it means to be a human being um, too much. You don't need to be married to someone or to have sex with someone in order to experience that person for who they are. Um, one of my, my, my best friend, Austin, and I, we have a, a very profound um, brotherhood, very, very profound. 
and I, as I've, I've talked to people about um, people, I've had people say, you know, well, the only way you're ever going to have true um, spirit to be the only way you're ever going to be truly spiritually or emotionally known or to really know someone is if you're married. I'm like, I can guarantee you that my friendship, my friend Austin or any of my other best friends, like my friend Jackie um, or my friend Joy or my friend Danny, um, I can guarantee you that the connection I have with those people is going to be just as profound as what you have with your with your marriage with your spouse guaranteed because mm-hmm. sex is not a way of getting deeper I, I the way i view it at least marriage and sex should not be the way that you get deeper with people it's, it's just a, it's just a different type of relationship um i know married people who consider um people not their spouse to be you know people that they're closer to all that being said um is basically we, we need to really get we need to really understand that be, that that ha, that being in a romantic relationship is not the solution to to loneliness. It's not the solution to finding um, spiritual and emotional intimacy with people. It's just one of many types of relationships in which you can experience spiritual and emotional um, and physical intimacy. It's just one of many different types of relationships. And once I accepted that fact. And really considered and started considered the implications of that fact. It it killed it 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 really killed any concern I had with needing to get married because I realized wait a second the desires I have to have intimacy with people whether emotionally or spiritually or physically is not doesn't have to be met in marriage. That's just one relationship, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and. <clears throat> I really appreciate that clarity um, because in addition to uh, individuals who are in the LGBTQ community, I, I think the glorification of, of marriage or the importance of being married has also um, negatively affected uh, just young adults who are single and just trying to live yes. their best life, right? Yes. Like, you know, you're in college oh, yeah. and you're, you, you know, you have goals, you're trying to focus on school, but mm-hmm. every sermon you're hearing, uh, you know, especially a lot of, a lot of speakers like to come to university campuses, right? Yes. And either make jokes or r- preach about the importance of relationships and how to do a relationship yes. well, how to get married, all that good jazz, which I mean, it's useful information, but Absolutely. like mm-hmm. you said, um, it can sometimes paint this ma- narrative that uh, you're not really fulfilling God's plan. You're not mm-hmm. really, really doing anything really significant if you're not if you don't have a partner, yeah, uh, a partner that you're having sex with, a partner that you live with, a partner that you're married to and become one with. Um, yeah, there's really no fulfillment from just being single. And what's really what's really unfortunate about that is a, is a couple of things. Chief of which, in my mind, is the fact that our God and Savior was a single man mm. and he's he he's the he is the second adam he yeah. is what humanity ought to strive to be he is the pinnacle of what it means to be human he came and 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 destroyed any notion any sinful notions of what it meant to be human in in who he is and he was a single man mm-hmm. that's not to say that everyone has to be a single person but that definitely says that we need to really consider what we like for instance, um, who was I just talking to recently? And they were talking about how they heard a preacher say um, that the like, how, like this person asked the preacher, um, "How do I know if I should get married?" Um, and this preacher says, 
do you have a pulse? If you do, you should be married. I'm just like, wait a second. If what? you have a pulse, you should be. I mean, think about the narrative that sets up. Wait a second. First off, Jesus, again, the second Adam, and he is the representative of our race and the pinnacle of everything that we should and, um, and may become was single. But you're telling us that we should actually, like, to be, a, to be truly human is to do something that even Jesus did not find it necessary to do. Wow. And that, that, that's very problematic. And then you want to turn around and tell gay people that, um, like, you, you set up this narrative that the only way that you're going to find, like, intimacy and, and, and be seen and to see people is if you're married. The, uh, furthermore, the only way that you're ever going to really know God, I and mean, this is the narrative, that the only way that you're ever going to really know God is if you get married. And then you want to turn around and tell gay people they can't get married. It's like you're telling hmm. them to, to commit spiritual and emotional and social suicide because you're giving wow. them all these conflicting theological points that add up to, I mean, if I could, it's just a bunch of bull, honestly. It doesn't yeah. make any sense. Um, and so that's why I tell, when my gay friends come to me, I get really passionate about this because I, 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 I feel for my gay friends. I, I used to be really bigoted against my, against my, gay, my gay friends. I, was like, I used to think, oh, you guys should just get over it. It's not that big a deal. It's like, no, this is a really big deal. You're telling people to make a very difficult existential um, decision that requires them to live in a society in which the narrative is constantly, you aren't good enough because you're not part of the crowd. And we're not gonna, start, we're not gonna stop harping on it in sermons or, or in seminars or whatever. We're gonna keep making this, we're gonna keep perpetuating this narrative that sets up this elitist club that you can't ever be a part of. And then we're not even going to bother to set up a place in the church where you can feel, where you can feel like you can belong. We're not going to give you a seat at the table. We're going to give you a seat out back. That's, wow. that's the way that comes off to LGBT people. So when they tell me they don't feel like they can be celibate, you know, even though, you know, um, I, I disagree on, 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 to a certain extent, I understand. Like yeah. it, it can be very difficult. Like I've sat in church services. Like I was, uh, telling my mom about this a few months ago, I was, uh, sitting in the church, listening, you know, listening to the sermon, whatever. And the, and the pastor just kept talking on and on, drawing out analogies from his marriage. And I'm just like, and that's just like how it is all around, all around, you know? And it's like, you know, people don't understand. You don't understand how much of a, how much of a marriage worshiping culture we live in and how much that adversely affects people who are single until you come on the side of a, like a, of a, of a person who's celibate and doesn't really have hope of, of getting married. Mm-hmm. It's not easy. It can be hard. Yeah. yeah. There are a lot of people in broken marriages, abusive relationships, and miserable places in their life because of that unhealthy rhetoric of mm-hmm. you need to be married. If you have a pulse, you need to be married. Um, yes. it's, 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 it's really unhealthy. Um, mm-hmm. Now, I'm, I'm, there's a question I'm going to ask you, but I'm actually going to ask you it later. But uh, I'm going to want you to, if you're willing to, kind of – um, give the church um, kind of some pointers and some thoughts on how we should deal with, handle, um, create space, and just commune with people who are in the LGBTQ community who disagree with you, right? Who mm. Uh, mm. who who feel like and and they they have you know of their opinion and their belief and understanding is that um, God 
um, is fine and blesses a union between same-sex partners, right? Mm -hmm. That's going to be a question I'm going to ask in a a moment. But I want to kind of ask you, you know, because you you sound very confident. You sound very uh, passionate, happy, sure of yourself. Mm-hmm. But I, I guess one of my questions is, it, it, when you do hang out with your friends who are married, who are in relationship relationships, uh, when you do go to a wedding, when you do commune Grown. with these, uh, well, I want you to kind of talk about that because I, I don't want mm-hmm. anyone to leave this thinking that you are in a, you don't, there's no, there's no type of, um, uh, maybe not struggle, but you don't have any type of, you're not human, right? Pains. Yeah. <laughs> Pains, yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm, exactly. and so, mm-hmm. so, so I want you to talk about that, that, that struggle. What does it really like? Yes, you have this understanding and you're at peace with it, but what mm-hmm. does it really look like for you day in and day out? Like the, maybe some loneliness, mm-hmm. maybe some of the, the maybe frustration. Is there any bitterness? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Can you speak to that? Yeah. Yeah, I definitely. And yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really glad we're talking about this point because yeah, I, I, there, I mean, there's going to be struggles, you know, whether you're single or whether you're married, you're going to, you're going to definitely have struggles. Um, and I've, I definitely have some of those struggles. I don't like going to weddings. <laughs> you don't like going to weddings. I, I don't like going to weddings. Um, and it's not because again, I have nothing against marriage. I think marriage is good and holy and, and so forth. Jesus himself says it. The analogies are used throughout scripture between Christ and his church, you know, romantic and marital kinds of analogies are used between Christ and his church. I have no problem with marriage, but I do have a problem with the way that marriage has been practiced. Um, and so when I go to weddings, you often, you will often hear the tenor of what a particular marriage might be like based on what, what is said, the, the, the types of vows, the types of um, ideas that are exchanged at a wedding. Like for instance, I'll give you an example. And it drives me crazy when I hear it. Um, you'll hear people say in their wedding vows, you know, before anyone else, um, um, above, I mean, above all others, um, and, and all these other types of things that imply that just because you are married to this person, this person merits, a, merits the best parts of you. Even though there are all these other p- people in the audience that you've potentially known for years longer, um, people that you have had really profound relationships with, all of a sudden, because you are in a particular type of relationship with this, with this particular person, you all, it, it, it means that, you, that that person dignifies the best of your affections and that you have to shift all of your energies, all of your priority to that person. Um, and it really hurts. Mm-hmm. It, it, sometimes it really hurts when, when, I, when I'll hear my, my friends stand flat foot in a, in a my grandmother would say, stand flat foot um, in a, in a, in a, in a church and say these things that, that imply that everyone was with you it's all been usurped because I'm married to this person and I can have sex with them. And you know what? People aren't doing it maliciously. They're not, but they've been mm-hmm. fed a, I believe a lie that says that this person, this person who is just one of many different types of relationships is supposed to take the best of your affections. Again, if you consider stories like David and Jonathan, it's kind of like, well, where are you getting that in the Bible? Because it says mm-hmm. David loved Jonathan more than all women. So mm-hmm. I have a problem with the fact that, not with marriage itself, but with the fact that people allow their marriages 
to it, almost in a sense destroy or 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 subjugate their other relationships which would have been you know just as just as valuable to them otherwise and yeah so that that's 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 one of the one of the one of the greatest pains i i feel i don't like going you know that's i don't like going to weddings um another thing that that sometimes can be difficult with is because i take very i, I take friendship extremely seriously mm-hmm. if you are my friend and you are one of my close friends you've got me and you've got me for life and you got me for good and i'm incredibly intentional intentional about you know forming relationships any of my friends will tell you that um and sometimes it's it can be difficult for me, especially as, as a celibate person. I know that the only types of I won't have, I will never be able to experience the same kind of. Well, let me say it this way: in this society, people are fed the rhetor- the notion, the narrative that the only relationship that you really, really need to pursue is the romantic relationship, and. So other people, so people, and so that's the only one that people really, that people are, you know, view as having the, the strength of a covenant, you know, people don't really see their friendships as like this thing that I have to fight for. People are willing to like, let their friendships go. They're like, eh, if it works out, it works out. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But me, I'm like, yo, like, if you're my friend, we have entered into a covenant as strong as a marriage, like, like to break this friendship is just as bad as breaking a marriage. That's how I that's how I look at my friendships. I don't I don't approach my friendships or any relationship with, you know, willy-nilly. And sometimes it's hard to get people to find people who are are that sold out about friendship because you know, again, they've been fed the, the, the I think the lie that the only relationship that it matters losing or not is a marriage or a romantic relationship. And what does that say about what does that say about our understanding of how much we value people in general? If you're willing to let their friendship go, we weren't meant to. I was just talking to a friend actually just last night about this very topic, and he's and he said we were not, and he's also a celibate gay Christian, and he's like we were not meant to form, um, we were not meant to form any type of relationship that was meant to just end. All relationships were supposed to have the strength of a covenant and be bound together forever. And it, it takes a lot for people to, it takes a lot sometimes to find people who are willing to make that kind of investment in, in a friendship. So that's, those, those yeah. are two of the biggest things for me. Yeah. So you are, you belong to a group of, of a community of people who are, you know, celibate <clears throat> gay uh, men and women. Um, what or rather rather they these are um queer people queer christians who affirm the traditional biblical sex ethic because some of them are some of them might be gay or they might be bisexual Mm -hmm. um, and married in mixed orientation marriages okay um but yeah point taken yeah 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 Yeah, yeah. so what what is the the posture towards um people in the lgbtq community who think differently than you who disagree who wholeheartedly have, hold a different position and maybe even even you know there's a little I'm, i imagine just i just imagine i'm not sure if this is the case but maybe there's some frustration mm-hmm. towards people in your community when you engage with people on the other side of the aisle what are those conversations like um 
I, I can speak, I can speak from my perspective um, and maybe inform you of a few other side B people that I know. Um, there are, there are many side B people who are, who have really, who have, who have good relationships with people um, who take a, a more progressive biblical sex ethic people. We would, so people, people who are part of my stream, if you, if you will, um, are what you call side B. Um, okay. they, and then there are people who take the more progressive biblical sex, sexual ethic in their side A. Um, and there's another side, but maybe we'll talk about that later. Um, but yeah, there are, there are many, there are, there are some over, I would say there are some ways in which the two overlap. Um, many people in the side B community, like for instance, I, I, I myself, um, and willing to go to pride parades. I have a pride flag that hangs in my house. We celebrate pride, um, insofar as we believe, um, it's, it's acceptable before God. Um, but obviously we have the theological disagreement with people who, uh, who are, who are side a as you know, as far as gay marriage and so forth. Um, so some of the first, sometimes the frustration seems to be like some, some of the rhetoric towards, towards IB people is that we live, I hope this answers your question. And if not, just ask me the question again. Um, but sometimes side a people or, or, you know, LGBT people who are not Christian at all, um, you know, think that we live sexually repressed lives, that to not have sex is to live a sexually repressed life. But that's also, that, that, that idea is actually built upon the assumption that the only way that you can live a prosperous, abundant life is if you're having sex. So I, you know, I personally don't believe that stands because, um, you know, Jesus didn't have sex and he was the most abundantly a life person ever um but at any rate so a lot of people think that we a lot of um people believe that we live sexually repressed lives and that we're just doing it to um please conservative christian conservative evangelical christians and to you know appease their homophobia and so forth and that if we really stood with the community we would come out of those ways of thinking but again um no, <laughs> mm -hmm. just no. I celebrate the fact that I'm gay. Like I, I mean, and that might sound really confusing, and maybe we'll break that down later. But I celebrate the fact that I'm gay insofar as I can celebrate that fact. I mean, there are many beautiful things about the gay, about the queer experience that I absolutely love and celebrate. And it's really hurtful sometimes when um, I hear my brothers and sisters on the other side say, "Oh, you guys are just living a sexually repressed life." and that you hate yourself. It's like, nah, I used to hate myself. Hmm. I, I live a life that I think is very sexually fulfilled um, without sex or marriage, wow. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's, that, that's, that's some of it. I, I, don't, I don't really know the answer to the question, hopefully. <laughs> no, that, that, was, that was helpful. Um, what, you know, leading into, well, I'm gonna say my second to last question, mm -hmm. What are some thoughts, maybe some advice? Um, and, and actually, I want you to lead in this question with maybe point out some things not to do, some things you've seen, and, and maybe give some constructive thought of like, we shouldn't do this, we shouldn't say this. But as far mm -hmm. as the Christian church, because this is a really difficult space for the Christian church. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of people have tried to navigate through it and have not done well. Um, um, hopefully, we're hoping that this, this, this can be a productive conversation that we're having right now, but how would you say 
Christian individuals who do not belong to that community should interact, should engage, should treat, um, should commune with people, whether they're side B or side A, but people who are and belong to the LGBTQ community. I think probably what we're gonna, what it's gonna take is a, a, is a, a, a pretty substantial theological and philosophical overhaul of what we assume about sexuality in general. Okay. What do I mean by that? Straight people think in certain ways about gay people, whether, you know, side A or side B or whatever, um, because of certain presuppositions that they have about sexuality in general. Um, we, we have been given a, a narrative that says that being straight is this perfect, like, or like this state of idyllic sexuality that, you know, but actually, when you realize that sexualities are not just these biological or psychological phenomena, but they're like they're very deeply sociological, um, then you realize that being straight or being gay has a lot more to do with than just who you have. Words when I say like when you say that someone is straight or or when some, that someone is queer, you can be talking about more surface level. You can be talking about like, are does this, is this person attracted to people of the same sex or people of the opposite sex? But there are deeper soci sociological implications to those terms that, that people don't often think of. So straight people often think, well, as long as you know, if if you're straight and you want to have if you want to have sex with people of the same sex, you have the right sexuality, mm -hmm. and that affects how straight people interact with with gay people because straight people will see gay people as innately more broken. But actually, if you do a more um, if you do a more sociological look at what it means to be queer and straight, you realize that there are oppressive uh, that the fact that we even have a distinction between queer and straight, which didn't exist until maybe roughly the eighteen the early eighteen hundreds. Um, once you realize that that the, those distinctions are just structures of power um, and domination and oppression, then you realize that being straight is not so positive after all. Um, and being gay is actually not so bad. Um, I, what I, so what I tell people is we need to, you know, I don't know how, how much you want to go into talking about that kind of thing, but uh, I think what, what, what would help gay people, no matter what position they take on this matter theologically, what would help them is if straight people would stop think would, would do a bit more um, study into what it means to be a sexual being what what do straightness and and queerness really connote like what's really going on below the surface what are the social implications of those of those concepts what are the what are what are the unstated things behind those behind behind those um those categories mm -hmm. um those categories have been incredibly destructive um, to not only queer people, but to straight people. Straight people, I don't think, often realize that when, when they take upon themselves, oh, I'm straight, often they're saying things about their ways of interacting with the world that they aren't even aware of. Um, I was reading, I was doing a, um, I, I was doing a, a project for a class at seminary this past semester. And um, I was, part of my project was researching what it means, to, you know, researching sexual reading it's like i can't remember the name of the book it's like the apa american psychological association sexuality gender studies handbook something like that two really dense volumes um i was reading the first volume and in their preface they explained that 
sexuality is not about who you want to have sex with or if you're having sex. Sexuality is really just about how you are relating and connecting with people, forming relationships, enjoying people, how are you expressing yourself in general. Um, so I think that straight people need to come to realize that with respect to their straight sexuality, there are many unhealthy ways that straight have been socialized to interact with other people of even, you know, with, their, uh, with people of the opposite sex and with people of the same sex. So for instance, it's, I mean, how often do you see two straight men, quote unquote straight men, walking down the street holding hands and then take that and compare it to two gay men? Take, take the show Queer Eye. By the way, every Christian should watch Queer Eye. It should be a part of our, our Christian theological training. Every Christian needs to watch Queer Eye. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, every Christian needs to watch Queer Eye. Great show. You have five amazing friends who are all queer, um, and they go around doing really wonderful things for each other. Mm-hmm. And what's really interesting is as you observe them interacting with each other, I mean, they're always showing each other affection. They're loving on each other emotionally with words of affirmation and so forth, and they're doing good. I don't ever see straight men. I rarely will see straight, you know, quote, unquote, straight men doing those types of things. But hmm. those are very healthy behaviors that, you know, uh, as late as the, er- you know, the early 1900s even, you would see, you know, grown men who were taking pictures. Like you've probably seen on Facebook, the pic- there was a, um, a collection of pictures, old pictures in the 1800s, 1900s, where grown men were sitting on each other's laps, um, holding each other's hands, hugging each other um, in, ver- in very intimate ways. But, you know, they weren't gay or straight. They were just people. Mm-hmm. And you don't see people really doing the straight people doing those types of things anymore because that's quote unquote gay. But wait a second, if those things are positive things, showing affection and love towards your friends is a good thing. And those good things are gay. There have to be good things about being quote unquote gay that we need to mine out. It's hmm. not, we we're, we're too, we're too messy when we go and say, Oh, straight is good. Being gay is bad. I'm like, yo, wait a second. Whoa, 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 whoa. Like, you can't even give me a hug without putting your arm between me and you because you're afraid that if my chest touches your chest, you're gonna, I don't even know, like get pregnant or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and so like, but you don't find that with queer people. Like those, those walls, those barriers come down. Like, and I, I love that. And so I think that straight people need to learn that straightness is not, is not t- tantamount to holiness and gayness is not tantamount to unholiness. Both of them have good and bad because they are both they're psychological, um, the bi- biological and, and, and sociological um, in, in, in nature. So I think that's probably the, fir- the starting place for, um, for a lot of major change in how the church can interact better and, and be a, a place of support for, for LGBT people of all sides. It's just we need to have an overhaul of the way we think about sexuality in general. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Uh, thanks for that uh, you, in-depth explanation to um, how both straight and um, queer uh, Christians and non-Christians alike can really start to have a, a good conversation to create some space. Um, mm-hmm. I also want to point out before I ask this last question that, I mean, for those who may be listening to this, whether whatever side you might 
may be on, I think is really important. Really, in this culture, you know, we have a habit of just we have our belief, we have our stance, and because someone has a different stance than us, we, we think that that's an aggressive attack towards us personally. Um, mm-hmm. Paul mm-hmm. has been so, I mean, Paul, you've been so gracious to me, to, I mean, all the people who are listening, to be vulnerable and, and, and share and express yourself, your story, and where you're mm-hmm. coming from. Um, and I think that uh, while I encourage people to uh, reach out to Paul and we'll have his information in the in the description of this episode. Reach out to him, DM him, have these conversations. Be respectful, be kind, um, be responsible in the rhetoric and the in the words you use um, to even debate um, him. Uh, because at the end of the day, um, it's so it's it's okay to have different thoughts um, as long as you're being respectful and loving. And Paul, you've 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 done that. And I don't think you're saying anything um, or that that is is intentionally trying to upset any group of people. Um, I'll I'll throw that out there. You know, if if I don't even know if that's that's going to go over well, but uh, I'll just throw that out there. So (laughs) so lastly, (laughs) so lastly, Paul, um, a lot of people may be seeing um, hearing your story and they're curious as to what you're doing now, because you mentioned that, unfortunately, although our church. Uh, allows for um, queer people to uh, be in pastoral leadership leadership in our church. Um, you are, you were at a place at the time of the recording of, of the film where you weren't sure, you were unsure of your future. So what are you up to right now? What was, what, what, what came out of your, um, your job with um, a particular church or slash conference? Mm-hmm. Yo, I was trying to get a job. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to work it, honestly. <laughs> uh, hopefully, hopefully find something in health and wellness. Um, that was my, um, that was my major than minor um, while I was studying um, during undergrad. Uh, so, just looking for a job right now. About to start working. So, um, so to be clear, and, I'm gonna cut you, cut you off for a second. To be mm-hmm. clear, you um, have not been able to uh, get the job that was originally offered to you is that is that what you're saying yeah the the conference that was sponsoring me um was was just that they were sponsoring me and you know the way it works is that you know after you're, you you've been sponsored you know they're they're looking to place you um but because i'm gay and i i refuse to be in the closet i will not do that again i, I i'm not going to do that i'm not putting on that i'm not putting on airs for people um never again um but because i wouldn't do that um there you know i'm not going to say it was any you know anything on their part or anything bad you know whether they didn't like me or whatever that's not the point the fact of the matter is really where are they going to put a gay black man in a you know in a, in a white conference in a in the south in a very conservative you know denomination you know come on perfect yeah. storm so you know whether or not it's because they didn't like me or whether it's because you know it, I, I i'm you know i'm here where i am but you know it's, it's really unfortunate um because there is a perspective i will i would like to bring to them um, to the church um but you know I, I don't have to do that and you know i guess i don't have to be a pastor um in the official sense i could do it you know pastoring unofficially because you know Often pastors don't have the time or the ability to to reach out to to segments of people because they're you know busy 
<laughs> with stuff in the churches. So maybe this is actually an opportunity for me to, the, I mean, the part of town that I live in right now is, um, uh, has a, a considerable amount of queer people um, who, you know, might, might not know Jesus because, you know, the churches aren't engaging them necessarily as well um, because Jesus is only for straight people, I guess. But <laughs> so hopefully mm -hmm. I can do some, you know, unofficial pastoring, you know, while, while I'm here. Um, but yeah, so. <laughs> okay. So, uh, I, you, you seem like you don't want to dwell too much on, on, on the, uh, on the past. So I'm, I'm going well. to let you, I, I, <laughs> oh, what I'm, else do you want to know? What else well, know well, about? you know, I, 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 I just, I don't know. I, I think that while, uh, you, you made a good point. You know, it's not necessarily. I don't know if we can blame that on a conference like the the, the mm -hmm. perfect storm, as you as you put it. Like it's just it's a complicated space. You're in a complicated position. You yourself yeah. uh, embody a complicated, very space. complicated. You know? very, <laughs> it's it's it's, yeah. it's. And so, oh. I, are you are you okay? I okay? Yeah. I, I, think, I think that's yeah. something that, 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 that that's a question that a lot yeah. of people just want to know. Like, are you okay? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, honestly, honestly, I personally feel fine. Um, I am concerned more so. I'm, I'm more concerned for the other gay seminarians okay. or other queer sem seminarians who are also struggling because there, there's, there's a few, there's quite okay. a few. Um, and we don't have we don't have support for queer people in our church in general, and we certainly don't have it for our pastors. And even though on the books they say you know we're willing to hire we're willing to hire queer people as long as they are celib celibate or you know marry someone of the opposite sex or whatever you know you know we'll hire you we're we're willing to hire you. But I I, I personally feel I I kind of felt like. In my case, there 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 aren't enough there there aren't enough resources, there aren't enough whatever to make sure that people like me will succeed. Queer queer pastors will succeed. Um, and I mean I could think of a few of my seminary friends who I know are who are queer. And I know they're struggling right now with the fact that they're, you know, even though they're they're celibate, they're gay, they're like, I don't want to be in the closet for the rest of my life just so I don't so I, I can you know. I can assuage the, the, the homophobic consciences of, of straight people. I mean, just to say very bluntly, that's, mm -hmm. that's you know, they don't, like, I don't want to do that. Mm -hmm. And so um, I can think of one who has, who has basically kind of sort of seems like he's stopping um, his, his track of becoming a pastor or, or what have you. And it's just kind of like, yeah, you say on the books that you want to, that you want to do all these different things, and that you that you would allow for queer people to be pastors, but then you don't have the systems set up to actually support us being in ministry. Um, I was just just um, a month or two ago, there was a there was a there was a conference that happened at the seminary. It was actually a really good, um, a really pretty nice conference, um, and it was discussing uh, the topic was Jesus and politics, mm -hmm. and. There was a there was a there was an individual a, a lawyer, or I think it was the lawyer, whatever, from the general conference, and there were a few other people. Um, 
I think they work at the at that level of the church, if I remember correctly. And I just wanted to get I, I, I wanted to get a sense of you know because the, the topic that was being discussed in the seminar was about was about homosexuality and what what you know what are some of the legal issues that the church runs into and blah blah blah. And so I asked him at one point because I want I want to know like what can I do? I'm I'm a I'm a guy who's about to graduate seminary. I'm gay. I'm celibate. I check all the, the little boxes, you know. Um, but I'm not about, to, I don't, I don't think I have, I'm not going to have my job. Um, even though I've put in the time and the effort, you know, and so forth. And I asked him, so I said, so, yo, I'm, I'm gay and I'm celibate. I have all these different things. What, but my conference isn't going to be picking me up for various reasons. What is the next, what, what is a, what is a system of appeals or what do I do in that situation? And they couldn't give me anything. They were like, well, uh, you don't really know. And I, I was kind of like, well, that's really sad that we don't have a system in place to actually make sure people like me don't fall through the cracks. Hmm. Because we need queer pastors. We have queer pastors. We need them to give their, to give their, their voices to this conversation. Um, we need it. And if the best that we can offer from the highest level of our church is, mm, that's that's not that's not cutting, that's not cutting it, that's not good. That you drag, you know, that you that you'll take seminarians, you know, queer people through through you know undergrad and then seminary and say, yeah, you have just as much an opportunity, and then ah, not really. And so it it doesn't real it, it hurts a little bit, but not necessarily for myself because I'm I'm good. But it is concerning that we have a it's we're sloppy. We're kind of sloppy in that regard. I think it's gonna take some further conversations um to, to a lot of further conversations to to really get that ball rolling. Wow. It from what I gather from all that you just said is you're you're doing okay. Things are very mm -hmm. complicated. We need yes. queer pastors. Yes. And we're just not at a point that we've figured out how to make that work, but we mm -hmm. need to figure out how to make that work. And quickly, because I mean, quickly. it's kind of, un, it's kind, it's very unethical. Like you're going to, if, you, if you're going to bring queer people through this process and then all of a sudden, oh, we actually don't like that you talk about your testimony, but everyone else can talk about their testimony, but we don't want you to talk about your testimony as a gay person. Mercy. But we'll take you through all these journey. We'll take you through this journey and then not do anything. I'm if I, I can't even tell you how sloppy that is it's like it's really messy and when people outside like when I tell my, my my queer friends who are Christian or not Christian or on the verge of leaving the church you know when, when they ask me oh Paul what's happening you know and I tell them oh I'm not gonna be pastoring why and I tell them this they're like see this is why I'm leaving the church Hmm. And it's like, so the church ends up shooting its foot itself in the foot over and over again because of how it won't just, it won't grow a backbone and just, and just do something and do something right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Paul, you, I cannot emphasize, and I've, I've been telling you this a lot and I hope, you know, I'm not just saying it um, because I don't just typically, I'm really bad communicator. So I don't just reach out to people and tell them things <laughs> often. So I'm telling you. I mean, you're so inspiring. Um, I respect you. I celebrate you. And I just look up to you, man. You're, you're, you're my hero. I'm just so inspired by not only uh, your story, where you come from, but um, what you're doing right now 
um, the, the, and the attitude that you have towards the pain and, and the complications um, that, that plague your life, you know? Um, and, and so, so mm-hmm. I, just, I just really appreciate you that. And I, I think that I really thank you for taking out some of your time setting aside some of your time to share with us um, Thank you. a little bit more in depth of, of your journey and some of the things that the church can do and needs to do um, so we can uh, better lead people to Jesus. Um, so thank you. Thank you for, uh, thank you. Andrew, appreciate everything you're doing too. <laughs> awesome. Thank you for listening. This is a brand new podcast. We really appreciate it. What we hope to do is to have bi-weekly stories and conversations just like this. So if you like the idea of having a podcast like that, we want to invite you to subscribe. And also, if you liked this episode or the first episode, we want to invite you to write a review. Those definitely do help. Thank you once again for listening. And until next time, two weeks from now, God bless. second episode on your feed after this episode is an extended interview that we did just a few days ago of Paul and what he's up to right now. To clarify, the interview you're about to hear right now was done months ago as well as the short film we just released. But a few days ago, we actually had another conversation, a Zoom chat with Paul, and he gives us an update about his life. Is he pastoring? Um, What is he planning on doing with his life? And he also goes in depth of his kind of theological stance, and he talks more about how he feels about how the church has handled this whole space, this whole conversation. So it's a really great insight. So after you listen to this episode, I'm really going to encourage you to check out the second episode uh, on your feed. It's a little longer, but there's a lot of great stuff in it. That being said, please enjoy this episode of Paul, A Thorn in the Flesh, extended podcast version. God bless.